There's a whole industry built around the idea of self-discovery. You can listen to any number of TED Talks. You can watch Jordan Peterson on YouTube. You can read books like The Journey Called You, A Roadmap to Self-Discovery and Acceptance. You can attend workshops. You can go on retreats. You can take courses. You can even employ a self-discovery coach. Now, of course, self-discovery can be helpful. I remember how liberating it was to me to discover the whole introvert-extrovert paradigm and to realize that I wasn't weird, I was just an introvert. But there are discoveries about ourselves that aren't just helpful. They are vital to understanding what it means to be human in the world that God has made. And in Psalm 103, David helps us to discover three things about ourselves that are vital to discovering and understanding who we are and what it means to be human. First, as human beings, we are frail. Second, as human beings, we are finite. And third, as human beings, we are flawed. We are frail, finite, and flawed. Well, I don't expect that the TED Talks and the books and the self-discovery coaches will lead you to the conclusion that you're frail, finite, and flawed. But actually, these are enormously helpful self-discoveries because they are true. We are frail, finite, and flawed. And that fits with our experience of life in this world. And it fits with what, deep down, we know to be true about ourselves. But not only is that true, but David tells us that God has the answer to our frailty, God has the answer to our finitude, and God has the answer to our flaws. So, we are frail. Look at verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed, he remembers that we are dust. David is pointing out that God is a different kind of being than we are. God is infinite, God is uncreated, we are created beings, and we are dust. We are 65% oxygen, 18% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1.4% calcium, and 1.1% phosphorus. We are biochemistry, we are part of creation, we are not the creator, we are not gods, we are limited, and we are frail. It's well worth discovering your limits. There's a limit to how much you can endure. There's a limit to how many hours you can work in a week before you become ineffective. There's a limit to how much stress you can cope with before you have a breakdown. There's a limit to how much social isolation you can endure before you become increasingly anxious and lonely. Just look at the soaring rates of anxiety and depression due to the recent lockdowns. We are frail. But look at verse 14. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knows. He remembers. He made us and he's well aware of our limitations. And how then does he treat us? Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, 
So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Fathers don't expect their children to be adults. And fathers don't expect their children to be independent. Fathers don't expect their children to be self-sufficient. That's not who or what a child is. A child is dependent on their parents for food and clothes and shelter and home and protection. A child is dependent for everything. And so fathers look after their children. They show compassion to their children. When I was in P1 at primary school, which I think you call reception these days, you had to change into indoor shoes when you arrived at school in the morning. And I was four, I couldn't tie my own laces. And one of my first memories of my dad is him kneeling at my feet, changing my shoes and tying my laces. And he was acting as a father acts to his child. He knew my limits and he was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Do you know that that's what the psalm says, how God treats you? God knows your limitations. God knows what you can endure. He knows your abilities. He knows what you can bear. He knows that you are frail. And he'll treat you as a father treats his child. But there's something really important you need to bear in mind when we come to this psalm in the Bible. Remember that the Bible is not a random collection of different books. It's more or less in chronological order, and it tells one great overarching story about how God is acting in history to rescue his people and reverse the effects of the fall and bring them to an even glorious future, the new heaven and new earth. And as that story unfolds in history, God reveals bit by bit more and more about himself. And so here we are around 1000 BC, and David writes, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. David is saying, God is like a father. David is using a metaphor. But rule on another thousand years, and with the coming of Christ, with the coming of Jesus, God is revealed not only to be like a father, but to be a father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we know more than David knew. We know that God isn't just like a father. God is a father. God is the father. He is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is his father. He is our father. Which is why our Lord taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. And so we know now that God isn't just like a father having compassion on his children. God is our Father in heaven and has compassion on us, his children. And what's more, God doesn't just know how we're formed. He doesn't just remember that we are dust. A thousand years after David lived and died on this earth, God the Son took a created human nature. He took the human nature of one of David's descendants. And Luke tells us that the Virgin Mary was visited by the Archangel Gabriel, who told her that despite being a virgin, she was going to conceive and have a son. And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, which will be born, will be called the Son of God. 
And Jesus Christ's human nature was formed in the womb of Mary, just like ours, apart from sin. His human nature was dust like ours. And so he not only knows how we're formed, he not only remembers that we are dust, but he knows exactly what it's like to be a limited, frail, created human being. Because in his human nature, he has been a limited, frail, created human being. The epistle to the Hebrews says about Christ, he had to be made like them, that is us, fully human in every way, in order that he might be made a merciful and faithful high priest, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be made like us to be our priest, to represent us. He had to be made like us to atone for our sins. And he had to be made like us to help us. So now we know that God is not only like a father, God is a father. And God not only knows how we're formed, he not only remembers that we are dust, but God the Son took a human nature just like ours. So you are frail. You do have limits. But you're a child of your heavenly Father who not only knows how you're formed, not only remembers that you're dust, but his Son was made and formed just like you, dust like you, fully human in every way to atone for your sins and bring you to himself. You are frail and you are finite. Look at verse 15. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. This is a painful self-discovery. Imagine a field of grass, particularly in a hot country where every blade will only last to the beginning of the summer And then it's quickly parched and scorched by the sun. It withers and it's gone. Does anyone remember the blade of grass that was there the year before? Or the year before that? Or the year before that? Of course not. They come and they go. They rise up. They're withered. And they're forgotten. We human beings have an enormous sense of self-importance and self-regard. But the reality is that very few of us make any real or lasting impression on the world. Very few of us discover anything important. And very few of us will add anything to the sum of human knowledge. The vast majority of us are like that grass. We come and we go and we are forgotten. Can you name all your great-grandparents? Do you know where they lived? Do you know what they did? That's just three generations away. And your own great-grandchildren are very likely not to remember anything about you. Within three generations, you will be forgotten. But are we just like grass? There one season, gone and forgotten, and of no significance whatsoever? And if that is the case, where can we discover our true significance? Look at the contrast here. 
The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. And here it is. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. We are mortals, short-lived and finite, but the Lord is God, infinite and everlasting. And here's where we can discover our true significance. Our true and lasting significance comes through relationship with him. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And God's love connects us mortals to something everlasting and eternal. We might be finite, we may be mortal, we may be insignificant, we may be quickly forgotten here on this earth, but God will love us forever. And there's more than a hint here of life after death. Again, that's a concept that was gradually revealed piece by piece throughout the Bible. It was there in the Old Testament. Remember, Job wrote, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God. But it's really in the New Testament that it fully unfolds as we discover what that life after death will look like. Paul tells us in his epistle to the Corinthians that death will be swallowed up in victory. And of course, with Christ's resurrection, we discover what kind of body we are going to have, a body just like his. And at the end of the Bible, John gives us the most glorious glimpse into that future state. And he tells us that what it will look like to be loved by God forever. And he says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Yes, we are finite. Yes, we are mortal. And yes, our lives are short. But we needn't be insignificant. God's love connects us mortals to something everlasting. Life eternal with him. From everlasting to everlasting, God's love is with those who fear him. Finally, you are frail, finite, and flawed. Again and again throughout the psalm, David refers to our sins, to our iniquities, and to our transgressions. And it's there in verse 3, verse 10, and verse 12. And perhaps this is the most difficult self-discovery for modern man to make. Yes, we can accept that we're frail and limited and... Yes, reluctantly, we will agree that we are finite, but flawed, sinful, something wrong, not just in our biology, but in our morality. Well, that's a bigger challenge. It was Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Soviet dissident, who wrote, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? 
And what Solzhenitsyn is saying is that there's good and evil in every human heart. Of course, it's not that every human being is, has good and evil in the same proportions, but the point is that there is none of us who is completely good. All of us are deeply flawed. We're sinful. We are fallen. But if God has the answer to our frailty, and if God has the answer to your finitude, God has the answer to our flaws. Look at verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. A few years ago, when I was working outside Glasgow, one of my GP partners was dying of ovarian cancer. And she'd been my trainer. She was a wonderful doctor, and in many ways I learned so much from her. She was a real mentor. And I flew up from London to Glasgow to see her. And I went to visit her in hospital, and just as I was about to leave, she said, I would like you to take my funeral. And so we began to talk about the kind of funeral she wanted And I asked her if she wanted a Christian funeral, and she began to cry and said that she'd grown up with a Christian faith, and with the stresses of a difficult marriage, an alcoholic husband, two children, a full-time job, and church-going had petered out and gradually stopped altogether. And she said, when I haven't spent all my life as a Christian, how can I finally come back now? And I read this psalm to her, emphasizing the verse, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And I read it to her the last time I saw her as she was slipping in and out of consciousness. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And I read it at her funeral service. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And you see, that is the only hope for all of us, for each one of us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. David is saying, look up into the sky. How far can you see? Well, during the day, you can see the clouds, you can see the sun. At nighttime, you can see even further to the stars, light years away. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For those who fear him. You know, three times in the psalm, David emphasizes that God's love and compassion are for those who fear him. And that's not fearing in the way that you would fear some angry, vengeful character of God that someone like Richard Dawkins would have us believe. But to fear God is to acknowledge that he is the creator and we are his created beings. To fear God is to admit that he is holy and just and pure and righteous that we are frail and finite and fallen. And to fear God is the correct response to the self-discovery that we are flawed. Another word for it 
is repentance. And that's the key that opens the way to the wonderful blessing of forgiveness. And those who fear God, those who repent, they will find that God's love for them is as great as the distance as heaven from earth and as far as east is from the west. How far is that? Well, of course, you can measure north from south. The distance from North Pole to South Pole is finite, but you can't measure east from west. If you go west, you just keep going and going and going, and you come right back to where you started. You go round and round the circumference of the earth. God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. It's infinite. But in a moral universe, sin doesn't just disappear. If God removes our sins, where do they go? If we are no longer accountable, held accountable for our sins, well then who is? How can God treat us? How can God not treat us as our sins deserve? We've already thought about how a thousand years after David wrote the psalm that God the Son entered human history taking a human nature, formed like us, became dust like us, frail like us. And just as we are finite and mortal, so he died, not just like us, but for us. And despite having lived the perfect life, he took the responsibility for all of our flaws, for all of our sins, and all of our wrongdoings. You are frail, finite, and flawed. That's what it means to be human. And you will under, you will really only understand who you truly are when you realize these three things about yourself. And yet the good news of Christianity is that God the Son took a human nature. And in that nature, he became frail. He became finite. And he took responsibility for your flaws, for your sins. And in Jesus Christ, God has the answer to your frailty. God has the answer to our finitude, and God has the answer to our flaws. Lastly, verses 20 to 22. One of the things I really missed during the recent lockdowns was live music. When I lived in Scotland, in Glasgow, I was a regular at the Royal Scottish National Orchestra in the concert hall in Buchanan Street. And my favourite seat was right at the end of the gallery, And if you got that seat, you were actually above the orchestra. And if you're right in the corner, you were actually in front of the conductor. And you could see how he was communicating with the orchestra, with his hands and with his baton. And you would see him point at the strings, see him summon the woodwinds into action. And you might see him wave his baton frantically to increase the tempo of the whole orchestra as they came to a particularly passionate piece of music. And that's how David finishes the psalm. And it's as if he's a conductor pointing at the angels. Verse 20, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Then you see him gesture at them again. And he restates he restates the same idea in different words. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. And then it's as if he waves dramatically the entire orchestra to all the performers in creation, 
Praise the Lord all his works, everywhere in his dominion. And then he brings everything to an end on a single personal note. Praise the Lord, my soul. May that be the response of all of our hearts as we turn from our own frailty, from our own finitude, and from our own flaws, and turn to Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for those events of 2,000 years ago when your Son became one of us to live and to die and to rise again to bring us into your family. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us to repentance. And we pray that all of us might be found trusting in him with increasing faith as we live out our lives in this earth to know and to glorify you. We pray this in his name. Amen.